Hey, what's up, you guys? This is episode three of Gavin with Gab, and today we're going to be discussing chapters from the Ballet and Modern Dance book, um, and this is by Jack Anderson. First chapter we're going to talk about is called Glimpses of the Past, and the first thing that this chapter brings up is that dances can be divided into three of broad categories. The first category being to please the dancers themselves. The second category, performing to please the gods. And the third category as dancing to please other people. Um, It is said that these dances are mainly done for a ritualistic purpose. And performing for others is a major form around the world. As you can see, this is something that we still do to this day. We're constantly performing for others um, with concert dance, with music videos, with backup dancing. It's seen literally everywhere. Um, They also give examples in the book of um, India's culture dancing and how they use different techniques with like hands and the eyes and the necks. And it's very like intricate. Um, They also give examples of Japanese culture, and I brought this up in my previous podcast um, in episode two, talking about the kabuki or no, and this is also a very performative one that's uh, very exaggerated and goes into all the costumes and the facial performances, and just there's a lot of intricate details that are taken into account for these dances. Um, But the most influential was Greece, and they believe that dance was divinely inspired. Um, The Greeks allowed the art to uh, play such a big part in literally anything and everything that they did, religion, their education, and in theater. Um, But I want to point out the two most important people in this chapter, which it it does discuss a lot of different Um, Greek people in this chapter and goes into Greek mythology uh, throughout and there's a lot of different names but two that I want to point out is Apollo and (laughs) Dionysus Dionysus that's his name I've said it so many different times completely wrong I'm gonna butcher a lot of different names I can already tell already but uh, Apollo was the patron of music and poetry and philosophy. And Dionysius was the god of fertility and also the god of dance. Um, So these two gods symbolized two types of art. Uh, The first one, art notable for its serene majesty and formal balance called Apollinian which is obviously named after Apollo. And then the second side of it, uh, art that is emotionally unrestrained or ecstatic, which is uh, Dionysiac. I hope I said that correctly. Um, But Greeks viewed dance, music, and poetry as symbolic of the harmony of their mind and body. So they 
were the ones to really truly embody like what dance was and took it into account of everything in their everyday lives. Um, some other things that they talked about in this is um, they used art as their inspiration for everything. And I did kind of point this out before. Um, some other stuff that they had talked about uh, were the different pathways to consider of dances. And depending on the pathways, depending on like what they were trying to portray. Um, so there was like circles and circles inside of circles and all sorts of different um, things to take into account um, and different patterns. Uh, but some other things that they also thought about was the development of um, symbolism as well as the pantomiming. And this was actually really interesting that um, the pantomime, um, this is a direct quote from the book, was introduced by the Italian Greeks. Um, and it scarcely exaggerates the artist's versatility. Uh, it is his profession to show forth human character and passion in all their variety, to depict love and anger, frenzy and grief, each in its due measure. Which this is really interest interesting because we have heard of pantomime and dance before, um, but when you think of pantomime, you think of literal like uh, movements and you refer back to like an actual mime, like, you know, trying to get out of a box. Like that's what my mind went to uh, first off, which is not, <laughs> not as uh, accurate. Um, but this Roman pantomimes uh, held a lot of significance there. Um, some other stuff that they talk about is different specific dances. Um, and Plutarch um, describes Greek dancing. There's a specific section about this uh, where cakes were being brought in as a prize for dancing by the boys, uh, which is really interesting. And other things uh, that it talks about the dancing and consists of the movements and the positions. Uh, talking about the relationship of that with music, talking about that and the relationship with the poetry and how all of these things intertwine. Um, I know I'm going all over the place here. I My notes are a little bit jumbled, but in other parts of it, it talks about um, Italian dance spectacles and how they could be lavish, but also curious. Um, and this is brought into a uh, perspective of a dinner ballet. And I hope I don't butcher this name also, but Bergonzio di Boto uh, produced a banquet celebrating like the marriage of in the Duke of Milan. Um, and this was like a nightclub type scene. And it consisted of like different types of scenes uh, based on like the mythology and um, you were also served like a meal at the same time, which was really cool. It's dinner and a show basically. And that was their forms of like entertainment. And they, that's what they also called, sorry, my words are jumbled. They also called their culture um, 
a way of displaying their culture is what I'm trying to say in like a positive way and to keep the culture um, kind of alive. But one thing where the Greeks um, kind of faulted was that none of these dances were technically codified because they didn't document it. I mean, I, of course I'm reading about it, but there's really not a way of us to learn these exact dances and how to do them correctly. We just read about them and we hear certain bits and pieces of information. So other than that, it would be cool to learn these dances if they were still around, but to really truly codify a technique, you have to have some form of documentation in order to keep it alive for as many years as it can, like jazz or like ballet um, or any different cultural dances like around the world that have um, significance in, you know, certain rituals or certain like everyday lifestyles. Um, so yeah, that's, I'm going to conclude that for uh, this first part of the chapter that I'm discussing, and I will be moving on to the next chapter of this book. Okay, we're now tuning in to part two of episode three, and this chapter is called Dance at the Royal Courts, and this is also by the same author, Jack Anderson. Um, this chapter has so many important people that it talks about, but I'm only going to talk about a few to keep this kind of um, short and concise uh, to really hit those like bullet points. Uh, so the first thing that I want to acknowledge is that we didn't always have uh, the definition like or the name choreographer or should I say title choreographer as we do today but more so it was called the dancing master. Um, and this first chapter, this first chapter, and the first part of the chapter <laughs> is uh, discusses basically ballet in like the courts, um, but not the ballet that we think about that we see today. It looked very different. Uh, first off, there was no stage and the audience sat above which this chapter had really nice pictures kind of showing what it would have looked like from back then. Um, and then the people would be just like performing in the middle. So it's kind of like looking down at someone. It's, it's really interesting how uh, the stage has evolved from that to what we are used to performing on today. Um, there's comic, which was, refers to um, Comedi, I don't know, I don't want to butcher that. Um, but that also refers to the drama and that's like the name of one of the um, styles. Um, and then there's Enchantress Cirque, which Cirque represented base passions of humanity in the divinities who defeated her, including not only Minerva, but also Pan and Jupiter. Um, who was like the ruler of God. So this is like a story that's in it that I chose to point out. Um, but later on, it talks about the choreographed steps and formations for horses, which was really interesting that they would even have something for horses. I just thought that was a weird fun fact 
in this chapter. Um, but anywho, I'm jumping all over the place. Ballet was a lavish type of entertainment. Um, and some other important people that it brings up in here is Orlando de Lasso, who was a composer, and then Pierre Ronsard, who was a poet. And I bring these people up because a lot of the times there was a lot of collaborating between people and their specific art forms um, throughout, not just like this style specifically, but obviously in the chapter before, um, how I brought up how Greeks used poetry and music and movement, like all combined together. Um, this was inspired by theories promulgated by the Academ Académie de Musique et de la Poésie, and I probably butchered that completely. But that was an organization founded by poet Jean Anthony Debye <laughs> and composer Trubalt de Corville. This is going to be so bad, this chapter. I don't even want to say any names because I'm already butchering them. Um, but there are plots of Renaissance stage spectacles um, derived from the literary sources. So they're basically using these literally literary sources to devise uh, their performances and what they base things off of. They study these things, they use the ex exact same things to perform all the time instead of coming up with, you know, like a new original idea. Um, they have spoken and sung verses um, and they recite ballet books for audience. Um, they are performed by nobles instead of professionals, which is really interesting to think of like, this is where we bring in different types of classes and what's appropriate for like, say a lower class versus like a higher class. Um, and how that's developed over time. If you look at it now, like what's developed for lower class versus higher class, well, a lot of the times we don't see like dances, a lower or a high class thing. Um, we just see it as dance. At least that's how I see it. And I know that's how a lot of my peers see it. Um, anywho, but let me um, jump back into this. There was different, um, types of dances, and I hope I don't butcher these names either, but the Cremonius Pavane, which featured the lively kicks, <laughs> lively dance, which had leaps and kicks. Um, the Swift Carante, which is the running and gliding type style, and the Volta, or La Volta, is a gentleman and lady type dance, where they leap and turn in midair, and it's very slow paced. Um, and not to bring gender up again, but like gender has to do with literally everything in history. Um, men were given the most fancy, intricate steps and these big, like crazy jumps versus the women who obviously were all about being, you know, more feminine and um, more light and graceful. And they had more restraint. Um, to their dancing. Um, and in this part, it's really interesting to see that 
in ballet we use we warm up at a bar and i've never understood why that is it's just always how it's been it's never been explained to me but these people used to uh practice while hanging on to the backs of chairs or like with like a i think it's a rope to a chair and that's how it like slowly developed as like a bar and that's why we do bar to this day um So the dance masters are responsible for the etiquette and deportment. And the dance masters seem like they kind of were responsible for a lot um, in this. Not really what you would think of a choreographer to this day. Um, but it also brings up uh, dancing, writing, and fencing as, say, a man art. and a lot of these certain qualities of these, um, say, hobbies uh, played a part in the actual like movement process, um, such as like fencing playing a part in actual dancing. And then uh, we get into the formations. Sorry, I'm reading through my notes. We get into the formations. Um, and there's a plethora of different formations and what they pretty much stand for, such as like squares or diamonds, ovals, triangles. Um, they all have symbolic meanings assigned to figures placed above. Um, there are figures placed above at a 360 degree uh, parameter to watch these people so that they could see like all of the pictures that these dancers were moving in, or I, should, I don't know if I should really refer to dancers. I mean, I think it's dancing performers. Um, seems more correct, I guess. Um, so yeah, these very like cool patterns and placements and formations made it very pleasing to the audience. Um, and some examples were like three circles equals like the truth known, a square inside of a square, equals a virtuous design and three circles equals the perfect truth um which i've never thought of formations being that deep i just think you know formation you got to get there but these ones actually are more of like a purpose for the performer um later on women actually started to play a bigger role and they were more considered as important as choreographers, which normally you didn't see this before because it was heavily like a male dominated world. And I mean, I still think that <laughs> it's still a heavily male dominated world. And that's something that we still have not changed. We just become more aware of it and have, there's been some action taken towards that and women taking more roles um, that men would, which is pretty freaking great. Um, we go into Mask um, was an aristocratic entertainment uh, po poetic de declarations, songs and dancing. Um, and this stressed literary content over uh, choreography important to the history of the theater versus the theater of dance. And the last things that I want to um, talk about is just a few more important people 
is Louis the Fourteenth, um, who was one of these performers, and this man was literally. Uh, let's just say his ego was very big, um, and he was always dancing in these ballets, but because he was being so criticized for basically flaunting himself, um, and you know taking in all of that like attention, he had quit dancing. Um, but he later opened up the Academy Royale de Dance, um, and Pierre. Bocamp's uh, teacher, I think that's his teacher, um, and the codification of form gave opportunity for um, people to train and dance. So this was a place where people could work to train themselves as well as to learn to train others. And it was kind of like a space developed for people to further their education. Um, and the question that I had posed during this, and I brought this up in the discussion itself, but why do you think in most dances and performances that these people portrayed gods and heroes? Um, and I think it's just something that like, we like wanted to be at the time, you know, cause it's like, it's something to look up to. Like these people are like half human, half God. So it's kind of pretty cool and interesting um, to live kind of vicariously through that. Uh, so that was just a fun question that I had asked. Um, last person I do want to talk about, which um, before I jump into that, I just want to say the in the academy that King Louis had developed, um, there were some princes that were trying to establish uh, ballet and who could do it better. It was kind of a bit of a competition there. Um, but basically, um, the academy had developed into the Paris Opera later on. And Paris was basically reconstructed into a like different shapes like squares to feel more elaborate for the people walking around the city. Um, so people could feel like royalty almost. And then now I will hop on to the last person that I meant to talk about, which is Catherine Demichi, And she was responsible for the beauty, fashion, makeup, um, and etiquette and manners. Uh, she was also responsible for using the fork and making it more common. Um, and then because of her love of mirrors, that also incorporated mirrors and in dance, which was really interesting. Um, and yeah, some other fun facts was that there were like heels on ballet shoes. And I don't know how we progressed from having heels on the shoes to like not having heels in the shoes. I think that's pretty interesting how that's developed over time. Um, as well as like the use of turn up, turnout. Uh, I referred to how, how fencing has impacted dance and the turnout is from the fencing stance, which is really interesting because you never really thought about that. You just think, oh, this is a codified technique that we just learn and you never really think about how it was derived and how it was made what it is today. Um, but yeah, it, it's interesting to see the development 
of how ballet came to be and how little things like stances and formations and the proscenium versus like how it used to be like people, you know, sitting above watching you down below and the whole 360 around you and how different costumes and music and the literary sense, like how all of these things and characteristics started ballet and how they've developed and say shifted and switched into like some of these things not really existing anymore or um, some of these things still existing and it's pretty freaking crazy. Just like ballet, you see uh, pas de deux and men still doing those crazy, you know, tricks and big uh, intricate steps. And then you see women being very frail and, you know, I mean, I shouldn't use frail, but like graceful and light and, you know, very pure almost. It's just interesting to see the dynamics of it and how some of it has stuck throughout all of these years and how some of it has left. And I'm interested to see with, you know, the generation of like body positivity and um, how anyone can do it and how we're trying to break gender norms um, as well. So there's like so many things that I feel like this generation is trying to break and and I want to see if that will affect it in the future or if that can change the world and the perspective of like what it takes to be a dancer and what it looks like to be a dancer and how it's performance wise it looks like and all these other different factors. I, I just want to see like how much more it can develop from here. And it's just really interesting. Um, on that note, I'm just going to cut it off here because I've already went over my limit. But thank you for listening and tune in next week for episode four.